I'm David Reitstein. I'm the director of CalArts Jazz Program, and I'm going to introduce John Schwerbel, who is a marvelous pianist and composer and musician, and worked closely with Charlie Hayden and with myself. And our special guest, Scott Colley, who is my favorite bass player in the world and a close friend. And Scott was with us right at the very beginning of our program in the early 80s and one of our first graduates of our program. Um, so, John, welcome to you. Thank you. Hey, guys. John, talk a little bit about what, what you're doing now, your function with, with the alumni office and, uh, and everybody at CalArts. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I graduated CalArts in 2014 from the jazz program um, and had been working really closely with Charlie really the last two years of my time there. Um, and through Charlie was doing a ton of playing with him and uh, a bunch of different bands, but also kind of doing some management and production work for Charlie. And I kind of learned a ton from that as much as I did musically from him and took that and ran with it uh, in a position at the Los Angeles Philharmonic, which got me kind of more on the administrative side of the arts. And with that work, I got really involved. I think, I think they were pretty linked of kind of doing the arts administration stuff and then getting really involved with the CalArts alumni program. So in, I believe it was 2016 to 2018, I served as the first alumni representative to the board of trustees. And after that two-year position, I kind of co-founded this group that we call the Alumni Council, um, which I'm currently chairing. And it's basically a, a group of 18 alumni that work together to kind of get alumni engaged and more involved coming back to CalArts and, and being involved with the alumni community in general. So it's been super fun. And, and I just keep a lot, of, a lot of amazing people in my life because of being involved with CalArts. That's, we're really grateful for everything you do, John. Um, you know, when John was at CalArts, we were focusing totally on music, on composition, improvisation, playing the piano, working working in that capacity. But I have really clear memory of Charlie's last concert at CalArts at, at Red Cat with CalArts version of Liberation Music Orchestra. And John kind of served as the producer of that event and he's the single reason why it actually came together and happened because it was um it was really a challenge to marshal all those forces for liberation music orchestra and get everybody down to red cat at that time it was one of the most memorable nights ever and it was charlie hayden's last public performance which we all will always 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 remember uh together with his wife ruth who is one of John Schwerbel and Scott Colley and my closest friends ever, and she passed away in September. We all miss her dearly. So, Scott, just just to get us started with all of this, you want to talk about how you got started at CalArts? Well, that's a that's a uh, a long story, but I'll try and make it brief. But first of all, thanks, John, so much. It's great to meet you, and thanks for your support of the school and. As always, with it's amazing to see David and and to reconnect. And thanks for having me join the podcast. And David just uh, just kind of uh, sparked a memory for me of the last time I saw Charlie and Ruth. And it's kind of uh, 
amazing to think about it now, but uh, it was when Charlie was going to have some, I think some uh, special therapy in Germany uh, related to his illness. And it was, I think one of his last actual kind of tours. And um, I was playing a concert in Lviv, uh, Ukraine and Charlie's uh, the Quartet West open or, or played before us on the festival. And then we played uh, after Charlie. And who, who and, were you playing with at that, that concert, Scott? I was playing with Bobby McFerrin. Uh, and we were doing a short tour with a kind of special project thing. And, and, um, and the Quartet West. And it was, I sat on the side of the stage and watched Charlie. And it was like, he, he grew 10 feet when he got behind the bass and played and it was one of the most uh, emotional and profound uh, concerts I've ever seen uh, in my life. And I have some amazing photos of, and one photo in my office of me and Charlie uh, backstage at that concert in Lviv. And also some great pictures of Ruth and we had an amazing hang. And he didn't want to leave the stage. I mean, we were supposed to play after him and it was just like, and I don't even care, you know, we're just like, we'll play all night. And the, the, um, the emotion with the the audience too as well was was incredible and anyway that sparked that so how i got to cal arts is really a convoluted strange story is that i was just planning i i grew up in uh eagle rock in los angeles and playing around town and i was pretty active uh playing in in la and and um I had been out of high school for a year or two at that point, and I was just planning on selling my car and moving to taking my base and moving to New York. And that was my plan. Fortunately, a friend of mine, uh, Sergei Kazimov, who's a pianist in, in Los Angeles, said, do you know about CalArts? And uh, and I, I, I had heard of it and I, I didn't really know much about the program. But I was at that point huge. Uh, I had discovered Charlie's music maybe at age 15. So at this point, I'm about 18. And he's like, they're having auditions. And I actually came up and, and sat in with, with the salsa band once with Sergey. I played a few songs. I don't know if you remember that, David. Anyway. No, that one escaped me. <laughs> And then uh, some days or weeks later, you had the auditions and I came up and I my my thought was I'll get to meet Charlie Hayden and me and then I'm going to move to New York. And that was kind of that. And then uh, I met with uh, uh, David and uh, Nick England and um, Paul Novros. Uh, you guys were just starting the program at that point, the jazz major program or performance major. And so I was able to. Uh, audition for you guys and you you were very encouraging and then suggested that I might be able to come to Cal Arts and then I just started doing some some research into the uh or, you know asking a lot of questions and finding out what was happening at Cal Arts and everything that was available there at that time was appealing to me and just I would gravitate toward you know obviously Charlie's influence and uh and the world music program and uh the uh, the whole new music composition program and 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 david and then so i said yes when you asked me and and uh 
I can't imagine anything more important happening to me at that time than the opportunity to go to CalArts. It gave me pause and gave me a chance to think about what direction I really wanted to take musically as, a, as a, an improviser, as a musician, as a composer. But then it also gave me so many different avenues and areas that I could look at to try and um, to see what kind of artist I wanted to become. And um, anyway, that's the short version, I think, of, of how I ended up at CalArts. And uh, of, of course, it, immediately when I, when I started looking into what CalArts had to offer, it was also as a bass player, it had Charlie and it had Fred Tinsley. For those of you who don't know Fred Tinsley, amazing bassist who passed away a few years ago, who worked with the Los Angeles Philharmonic and but also played with Dexter Gordon and a bunch of, you know, so for, for an improvising bassist who was pretty raw technically and to be able to study with Fred and, 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 and just have these different influences, it was really a profound combination to be able to meet weekly with Charlie and meet weekly with Fred. And then, of course, to spend a lot of time with my mentor, who's still my mentor, Dave Reutstein, and uh, still makes me nervous to sit next to Dave and talk about music. But, you know, it's like uh, it, anyway, that's that's the background, basically, how I how I recall it. Well, the the other part of that, see, Scott, in his usual humble way, uh, is talking about how much our program helped him at that time. But the fact that Scott was one of the first group in our program actually got our program off the ground because Scott was very well-known young musician in Los Angeles. And when Scott decided to come to CalArts, everybody else said, oh, okay, well, this must be a good thing to do. And that was really the beginning of our program. And a lot of it was because Scott, Scott was part of it. So, John, I, I know you had some questions for Scott, why don't, why don't we get started with that? Part of the reason that we're doing this podcast today is to talk a little bit about the Charlie Hayden CalArts Artist in Residence series that we have every year since Charlie passed away. And it's a very special program. We've been doing it for for eight years. And uh, this this year in 2022, our special guest was Joe Lovano. The year before that in 2021 was an amazing opportunity to have Carla Blay and Steve Swallow, which Scott actually sat in on many of those sessions because the opportunity to, to speak with Carla and Steve it, it was just priceless. Uh, the year before that was drummer Antonio Sanchez and Tana Alexa. The year before that was Matt Wilson, wonderful drummer who played in Liberation Music Orchestra for, for many years. The year before that was some bass player named Scott Colley. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a very special week uh, for me having Scott with us to, to really have our current students get to know Scott for a whole week. Uh, it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, before that was Tony Malaby, saxophonist and composer. The year before that was Jerry Allen pianist and composer who we were so fortunate to get a week with Jerry. She's one of my heroes and one of my all-time mentors. And um, that was a very memorable and important week. And the very first year of the residence, Artists in Residence series was Bobby Bradford, who is a trumpeter and composer in Los Angeles, who worked with Charlie way back 
in the in the very beginning. So you can see the direction we're going in. It's people people who were very closely associated with Charlie in one way or another over his career and his musical life. And part of the goal of the Artist in Residence series is to keep Charlie's spirit alive in our program at CalArts. It's absolutely important for us. Charlie's music will always be around, right? We, we have uh, countless albums and wonderful documents of Charlie's music. But through these uh, wonderful artists that we feature every January, that's where we really keep Charlie's feeling and spirit alive in our program, which to me is absolutely essential. So that's part of our part of our goal today is to talk a little bit about that artisan residence series that we've been doing. So that was a long introduction, John. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's perfect because I think I really want to talk a lot about how Charlie's teaching influenced yours and how, you know, all of those pivotal kind of artists you worked with along the way influenced you. One thing that I was thinking a lot about is is how many kind of musical phases and different things Charlie did over the course of his career, all these different groups and, you know, all these distinct kind of phases. And I think he probably had a similar thing at CalArts where he went through different phases at CalArts you being with him right at the very beginning, David seeing it all the way through, and me kind of being with Charlie towards the end of his time at CalArts. And now this kind of post-Charlie time, where like David said, we're trying to keep Charlie's spirit alive through these programs. But I was really curious to just kind of know, you know, what your time with Charlie was like at CalArts and any kind of memorable moments you had with Charlie while you were studying with him at CalArts. And then maybe probably as you became as, you know, a colleague and playing at similar festivals, if if you saw him evolve and, and heard about any other stories from afar relating back to CalArts. Wow, this, uh, that's a great question. Uh, you, again, the timing that I of, of me arriving at CalArts for me couldn't have been more important. And I, I couldn't imagine another time that it would have worked as well as it did in the regard in, in what you're talking about, Charlie's different uh, layers of music, musical experience. While I was at CalArts or just before he, at that time around 83, 82. So there was the, the record 8081. There was the, with Pat Metheny and uh, Michael Brecker and that uh, there was uh, Ballad of the Fallen, the Liberation Music Orchestra, there was a lot of work with Keith, Keith Jarrett, uh, Pat Metheny trio with called Rejoicing uh, with Billy Higgins at that time, uh, Song X. So all of these different projects Charlie was involved in, in and around that time that I was uh, from, you know, 83, 84 to when I uh, graduated uh, or finished. Yeah, I graduated, but I finished school in, in December of 88. So in that time, Charlie was doing all those things. And one of the things that he did that was so great, um, talking about layers of his, he would, he, he would bring all this music into us, to his ensemble. And uh, there was a great core group of, of us students. Uh, and with the, with the help of David and, and, and other uh, 
folks there would help us kind of put these bands together and and we would play this music that charlie brought in you know and uh so we did all the music of song x as i recall we did and that was like three months before the album was released yeah so it's as he's doing this stuff and yeah and 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 he's like hey check this out and he's got um the you know we'd make copies of the handwritten parts by you know and then he'd bring in music of work you know uh actual lead sheets that ornette had written out and we did so much of that music and then to have charlie there and and as a bass player stand there and, and play and sort of try and emulate or uh, Charlie's approach and then find my own approach and that and then Charlie would pick up the bass and then he would play with the group and it was just this thing and we all kind of uh you know as as David knows his style of teaching was quite loose <laughs> but in in the way that we knew we knew that and with David's guidance uh with several other people um that were core musicians we would we were trying focus charlie and to say okay well we want to play this music live charlie's style was definitely to, to there was a lot of a lot of one-liners a lot of jokes a lot of humor and uh anecdotes and and stories about other uh, you know musicians and and experiences which was amazing so then our i i always felt that our only role was to maybe just focus him in to go okay we want to do this and then he would you know, then we could get into actual the nuts and bolts of how this music was put together. And that experience, and you mentioned like how, how it influenced it at all my teaching would be that the most valuable experience is getting the chance to work with a musician like Charlie in the moment, in the music, and see what works and what doesn't and and move through it and that's the greatest learning experience we could talk about music all we want but the reality of really getting to know what it feels like to make this music to write this music to to interact with the other musicians and to to um to make that last big step into uh finding your own direction as an artist has to come through that uh give and take in a in a in a musical situation like that so that's the thing that cal arts has always been really amazing with is like you want to do a concert great let's do it next wednesday in the main gallery noontime cool you want to do you know something a little more elaborate we might use another space or whatever but you could always have that experience of of creating a an idea and bringing it to the to the to the final stage of performance which in reality is not really the final stage it's just the next step and then you learn from that performance because you try to do it in front of people from beginning to end without stopping maybe and then uh, learn from that experience when people ask me about the CalArts jazz program and what sets it apart i mean there's a million things that i could reference but the first thing i usually tell people is you know at most schools you'll your student ensemble is a bunch of students who are 18, 20, 25, whatever, playing. And the professor is sitting in the corner of the room listening. And at the end, they give you some feedback about it. At CalArts, the professor is standing there playing the bass in the band or playing the drums in the band or playing the saxophone in the band 
the feedback is in real time. It's immediate. If you're dragging, you know, because the bass player is sitting there playing in time. It's the fastest and best and I think deepest way to learn. The other thing that's really fascinating about your experience at CalArts and mine, I'm just struck by you, you know, having all these amazing, this amazing music before it was put on record and working with Charlie to kind of sort through it and play through it and, and to see that before it's really striking because my experience with Charlie, one of the things that we did a bunch actually at his house uh, in 2013 and 2014 is the exact opposite. It's that Charlie had a bunch of recordings that were unreleased and we would sit sometimes for hours and just listen to this stuff. Mm. He had a ton of duo recordings with Brad, Brad Maldow. He had a bunch of recordings with Jim Hall. He still had some Keith Jarrett stuff. And we would listen to like five or six different exact, well, not exact, but five or six different versions of body and soul or the exact same tune. And he would try to figure out what one be best to put on a recording someday. Mm. Um, And that was an amazing experience to hear, you know, all this unreleased music that Charlie just had been hanging on to throughout kind of his Mm. career retrospective. It was amazing. That's incredible. Must have been amazing just to sit around and 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 then talk to him about what was going on. I, you, you just you just reminded me of a story that Dave knows well. Is uh, is we were in one of the rehearsal rooms in during his class, and we were working on a piece by uh, Keith Jarrett called Prism. Uh, Prism. Mm. That's what it was. Sure. And as anybody who's uh, explored that song at all knows that basically Keith plays a different set of changes every chorus <laughs> from the, right. It's like the, he sort of just, it evolves and there's different voicings and different, what, what's the chords here? We, we stressed about it or talked about it a bunch. And then Charlie just uh, got an outside line and, and called Keith on the phone in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You guys, you guys wow. played through the tune. Rick Helser had done a lead. Rick sheet Helser, it. Right. Exactly. Right? And you got to a certain place in like the second phrase and Charlie stopped the band and said, man, no, man, that's the wrong chord, man. (laughs) And, and instead of correcting the chord, he picked up the telephone while everybody was arguing about what chord it was and called Keith and said, Hey man, listen to this. And then at the end, at, at the end of that phrase, he said, so, man, what's the right chord there, man? He answered the question. He said, OK, see you, man. Hang yeah. up, bro. And the rest of us were so floored by the whole day. We couldn't even like, yeah, he called Keith wow. on the phone. You know, it was, yeah, that, those are the kind of experiences that you could have, you know, being with um, and that's an such an important thing about what CalArts does is that that's really what the experience of making music with musicians is it's relationships and community and and the way that we make music with other people you know you, so many of the musicians that you've mentioned you know that he was playing with that I've had experiences with too that's that's what it is, you know, uh, connecting with people in a real way and making this music is not just talking about it and theorizing on it. Those are aspects that, of course, we do. 
it, it happens naturally within the community of musicians making that music. But it's not it's not just a an idea or a thing. It's like we get together and make this music and sink or swim together working on working through things as a as a group and as a as a larger as a community. So that's the thing that for me CalArts really because of David and because of Charlie that's that's the tone that you've set in that in that space. It's it's a sacred space in a way. No, that captures it really well, Scott. Um you know, I was really interested when you said that you all the technically the students in the program we never refer to anybody as students that's not how we think of it um but the the people who were in charlie's class with him it was really interesting to me to hear you say that you all felt like part of your responsibility was to kind of help charlie focus on what the next thing was charlie was not a traditional educator he was a really powerful educator but part of the reason that nick england chose charlie in the first place was because it wasn't the normal jazz educator kind of mentality. And I, I remember a lot of the time, and you guys can both vouch for this from your own experience with Charlie, sometimes people would get into Charlie's improvisation class and they would expect him to talk about some theory and some scales and chord scales and mechanics and and things like that. They would ask about a certain note or a certain phrase or something like that. And Charlie would stop him and he'd say, no, man, what does that note make you feel? What does that note make you feel? He would never talk about numbers or or theory or analysis. Right? It, it was always it was always a feeling. And that, as a teacher, that totally influenced me. I, I think I kind of had a blend of both of them before that. But after watching how powerful that was for Charlie with his students, that really turned me around. That, in association with teaching with all the world music masters at CalArts, which are totally oral traditions, not written traditions, has has been and continues to be you know, really, really influential for me. But can either of you talk a little bit more about like what it was to kind of keep Charlie focused on that? What was the class experience like? Well, one thing was we we actually, because it was such a small core group of musicians that were jazz majors at, at the time when I started in 1984, we became close friends. It was a very close knit, you know, um, group of players. And, and, uh, and so we talked about it specifically. I remember having conversations like who wants to take on this? Uh, so, so maybe you have a lead sheet, you have some changes or something, but who wants to make this into an arrangement or find out the information that needs to be to make this thing maybe happen in the next Charlie rehearsal? Because Charlie wouldn't really do that. He might come in with a stack of music again, but somebody had to like make the copies and put the stuff out and maybe, and then maybe make an arrangement. He, uh, uh, David mentioned um, uh, Rick Kelzer, who was a graduate student at that time, who was amazing at organ organizing things and really pushing things along and did some, but I think he was, he almost acted like a TA, you know, and helped to kind of focus things and uh, for us who were newer in college, I think we were not as organized or, or focused as he was. And that was very helpful. But we actually talked about it amongst ourselves, like 
somebody take this and you make copies of this and I'll do this and we'll we'll make it so that once we start next week with Charlie, it won't be just from from scratch. And and then we'd and then you just say, hey, we we got a little arrangement on this. And then also the thing that was great too is that we would play a lot in the evenings or in our whatever. We would play as a group and in different combinations over this music. So I might get together with somebody and play some trio and then we might play. So maybe play some of the music from Rejoicing or we might play, you know, uh, some of the music from Song X with a larger ensemble or, or try different instrumentations. And, and so we did a lot of that. And then when it was time to actually meet with Charlie, there was some focus there like, hey, check out what we're working on. What do you think of this? You know, and that would spark a whole two hour session. And then usually would continue on to some coffee in the, you know, dining hall or, or, or a coffee shop or, you know, situations where we could hang. Or I remember taking Charlie to the, to the, to the pool for a barbecue. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think this was pre Ruth at that time, but we, we would hang out and have, you know, drink beer and, and, and barbecue hot dogs by the pool and hang out in the, southern california evening uh and he was he was way into that and, and you know but ch chances just to hang out with him and and talk and and he would go off on stories and that we loved you know so that was my experience well that's something that stayed the same i guess throughout <laughs> the course of charlie at college because that yeah i mean his formal class was always stories listening to records and the best part was when he would play and he would play solo for long passages and it was that was the best um and it's really funny that you guys would you know be copying the music and getting all that together because that's exactly how the liberation orchestra concert came about at red cat um mm. charlie was it was great he was able to join us for probably half of the rehearsals um and the other half he wasn't able to to make so we were kind of this scrappy bunch that that pieced everything together and the rehearsals he would make, I often kind of felt like a translator for him because when he wouldn't make rehearsals, he would have me, we'd have a phone call or he'd have me to the house and he'd try to give me some direction for the band for the next rehearsal um, that he knew he wasn't going to be able to make. And when he would be there, his feedback would often be pretty abstract and people wouldn't always quite get what he was saying. And people would come up after and be like, what did he mean by, you know, there's a great clip on YouTube, actually, I think it's still up, or it was at least when I was applying to CalArts, where it's Charlie's class in B300 and, or is it B320, the jazz room? And he says, they're asking him about what he, how he likes to play. And he says, when I play the bass, I want to bring out the wood, like the wood of the bass. And then he goes, I want to sound like the rainforest. And... <laughs> That was a lot of his feedback at rehearsals. You know, he would say things like that and people would be like, how does that really relate to what I'm doing? And we would have these great conversations about <laughs> figuring out what he meant. And he was always right. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. that's, that's great. That's part of Charlie's spirit that we really want to keep alive in our program. You know, it's actually really important. And I think that I think that it still feels like that. Um, it's not about mechanics and theory and analysis. It's about feeling. And 
and music and creativity and originality. And that's important. Every year when we do the the Charlie Hayden week, I tell this story, but I'll I'll tell it now. We call this week, it's actually a class in our winter session, um, two-week two week period in January of special projects. And this special project with the week with the visiting artist, the name of the class is The Spirituality of Improvisation. And Charlie, you know, it technically was a class. He would show up every week on Tuesday and he'd put his base in his Volvo station wagon and drive up to CalArts and uh, and sometimes listen, sometimes play, sometimes talk, like like you guys were saying. But it was technically a class. And every year, at one point or another, Charlie would come to me and he'd say, David, what's the name of my class? <laughs> and I'd tell him whatever he had decided the last time. And he'd say, no, man, that's not the name. And then he'd tell me the new name. And I'd say, okay, Charlie. And I would go to the music office and change the title of the class. And one of the beautiful things about being at CalArts is that there's no academic bureaucracy to stop you from doing something like that. <laughs> so I would change the name of the class. And that happened at least once a year for probably the first 10, 10 to 12 years of our program. And then at a certain point, he came up to me and said, David, he did the same thing. David, what's the name of my class again? And and I told him, he'd say, no, the name of the class is the spirituality of improvisation. And I just stopped and I said, wow, Charlie, that's it. You know, that is a great class title. It says everything. And we changed the name of the class and he never mentioned it again. We kept it the same <laughs> way for the rest of his time at CalArts. And we felt really strongly that that needed to be retained as the name of that Charlie Hayden Artist in Residence Week. And it really does say a lot. To him, improvisation was a spiritual activity. It's beyond mechanics and uh, analysis. So I don't know. I just I just figured I'd tell that story. Every year when we when we do the Artist in Residence now, it goes in a different direction because we get someone different to do it. But but that element of it is retained and really familiar to every single guest that we have because they all work closely enough with Charlie to know what that meant to him. Yeah. You know, and I've told you this story, David, but you both mentioned kind of Charlie and the importance of the feeling of the music and not necessarily the theory or it, it was about the feeling. And he just wanted to share that with his students. And I think that's something that's really been kept at CalArts is just sharing that feeling with all these guest artists, with the faculty, with the students, with the alums. But what, there was one memorable morning where Charlie wanted to share the feeling of some music, but I got a phone call at about 8 a.m. and it was Charlie and he said, man, you gotta get up here right away. And I'm in Valencia at CalArts and he was up in Agora Hills or you know some Woodland Hills, is that the name? And uh, it was about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minute drive from CalArts in traffic, like Tuesday morning. And I'm like, Charlie, I have class at nine. I, I don't think I can get it. He said, skip the class. Tell your teacher, you have to see Charlie. You have to get to my house right away. I said, all right, Charlie, I'll be there. <laughs> so I call my teacher. I'm going to miss the class. I don't know. Charlie needs me. He won't tell me what it's about. I sit in traffic for an hour and 45 minutes. I get to his house. He goes, God, I'm so glad you're here. Check this out. 
and he plays about 45 seconds of like a Mahler symphony. And he looks at me and goes, did you hear that? And I said, yeah, that's amazing, Charlie. And he said, all right, that's all. <laughs> so I turned around and drove back to CalArts another hour and 45 minutes for the 45 seconds of music that he wanted to share. And it was amazing. It was a beautiful passage. But just his enthusiasm about it was <laughs> remarkable. So it's really funny. Yeah, listening to music with Charlie was always a, a, a really impactful experience. Oh, yeah. The way that he listened was so deep. And it actually, in my experience, it would cause me to hear more, to perceive more in the music than I normally would, to listen to music together with Charlie. If, if he chose something to play at a certain moment, it, it, it really had a deep, a, a deep impact on me and on everybody in the class. Scott, do you have any, any experience? I, I don't know that, that I think John, John's story uh, is more than I can contribute. That's hilarious. Char the funny thing is Charlie didn't think maybe he could get in his car and drive to play it for you. At <laughs> I that was hilarious. The thing that John brought up too, and, and it's, and it it connects with this idea of listening and that Charlie was so great at and and something I learned um, that was ingrained to, into me at all my experiences at CalArts is that this music requires your participation in, a, in with your whole mind and body and spirit. So it's like you're jumping into this liberation music orchestra and you're not just having a teacher give you the lead sheet and and then that's it. To me, that's the, the information of how to do it is just such a small part of what we do. We were talking about, I want my bass to sound like the rainforest. Now that's very abstract thought, but that's where this needs to go for this music to be made. And it's, a, uh, it's an experiential byproduct in a way, if that sounds really corny. If you have these experiences enough time, pretty soon it makes its way into it. But it also allows you to then, which Charlie talked about all the time, is to find your own voice, find your own sound. And you, it was never, ever, and from David and, and so many other teachers at CalArts as well, was never, I want you to sound like me or I want you to sound like whoever. It's like you, this is the, the, the process is really ultimately to bring you to to find out what is what is your voice so scott i'm really curious something i was wondering and wanted to talk about a little bit today you did one of the charlie hayden artists in residence weeks in 2018 what were some of the things that you wanted to accomplish that week with you being back at cal arts for a week and working working closely with the students that week how how did you approach it well, I don't know if you recall, but I approached it like telling you and Larry Kuntz that you get to choose the direction. You know the students and you know me. And so for me, that was the easiest way to, to get into the center of this, not, as, not even as a student-teacher relationship at all or a lecturer, God forbid. That's like the worst, you know, like I'm going to lecture to you and then you're going to have this information and take it on and and fly with it. It's not that way. Again, it's it's the 
the thing that I looked to do when we did that and, and knowing you and Larry so well, and again, you guys knowing your students, then I followed the thread of what do you think? I'm going to bring a bunch of music of things that I've written and things that influence me and things that interest me and have all that stuff ready to go so that we'll have something to, to work from our structures, if it, you know, but as to what I was going to present, I had no, no preconception of what that would be. I didn't want to create a preconception in that. So, so just bring a bunch of, a, a big folder full of music and see where it goes. So in, in the way that Charlie's class was, is, is to try and create an environment that, that is, is most like, an, you know, putting a band together in a way. Uh, in the playing sense, and then but opening it up to then talking about things, spirituality, about about improvisation, about the ways, the different ways that you can uh, interact. Because as you know, if you're quote unquote leading a band and you have a, a bunch of written music and you want to play it, it's very important how you communicate that to the people you're playing with and what you say and what you don't say is very important to how they're going to improvise or or to to interpret this music. So that's the way I kind of went into it. So I I I was ready to just kind of sit there and and answer whatever direction Dave and Larry kind of focused me in on. We could talk all day, but the the real again it's it's about then okay, me standing there with a drummer and talk and then playing together. And it's, that's worth a, a thousand words. You know, you can talk all day, but the feeling of what that's like, it's, it can't be talked about really <laughs> too much. So that's, that's how I approached it in a way. Wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll always remember that week. It was a great week. One, one thing I also wanted to ask you real quickly, this stuff is just kind of spurring different memories for me. Scott, when you were at CalArts, you didn't compose very much. Right. But then when you moved to New York after you were finished at CalArts, you started composing and actually turned into a damn good composer and a pretty prolific writer. And and so when you brought stuff during your residency week, some of them were other people's compositions, but a lot of them were your compositions. And it was great for for the students in that week to hear that. And and I think at some at some moment we mentioned that when you were at CalArts you didn't really write a lot. But can you talk about that transition from you know like when you began writing a lot and and why? Oh, definitely, yeah. And I've thought about how that kind of how that trajectory, you know, how it came about. When I started playing at uh, playing music and playing the bass at, at 11 years old, it was all about experimentation and improvisation and finding sounds on the bass and learning everything by ear. And then at 12 or 13, I started playing with a lot of other musicians, Larry Koontz included, and a bunch of much older musicians. Uh, you know, they were probably in their 20s and 30s, but to me, they were really old. Um, <laughs> and, and they were giving me albums and um cassette tapes and you know like learn this song okay autumn leaves okay you know play so i learned just by listening to things and finding the notes and playing along and seeing what bass players did in those you know in this kind of in the 
uh, bebop, pre-bebop and that tradition. And it was an amazing way to start to explore the instrument. And it made me a lifelong improviser, no doubt, because it was just like, hear this, search for the sound. Oh, that's not the sound. Learn to, you know, to get the sound out of the instrument just from a raw sense without having any real uh, technique on the instrument. And then I started playing a little bit in like uh, community orchestras and things like that. So I did have some experiences like that or playing in big band in the high school big band and, and experiences like that. But it was always from an improvisational standpoint. So then I discovered my interest broadened out to things like weather report and old and new dreams. And, and then that's when I discovered Charlie actually through old and new dreams and some of that music. And then to the earlier uh, Ornette classic quartets and stuff like that. So that was my trajectory kind of coming into Cal arts. So I was playing a lot of, and then I, I had some amazing experience through high school playing with Alan Broadbent and going to his house for sessions and uh, Jimmy rolls and like incredible situations where I could learn standards by listening and paying attention and following their left hand. If I'm watching the keyboard or it, it came from a very experimental, this is a, really long answer to that question oh this is great scott but by the time i got to cal arts i was just playing a lot of gigs and playing standards and then some quote unquote free playing and some some experience doing that but i was really super ready to have some new input on in broadening out my sense of of improvisation as a as spontaneous composition. I was that was a really important bridge at that point. 16, 17, 18. I'm starting to go, okay, well, I can I I've gotten some of the nuts and bolts and 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 jazz and blues phrasing and this and that and and uh and things, but I'm starting to see how improvisation can be so much more than that. And then when I got to Cal Arts, I'm broadening it out in a, in a way and, and connecting with spontaneous composition. But the process, what happened like in my first years at Cal Arts, is to put it on paper seemed like I'm going to like I'm framing it. I'm put I'm putting this idea. It the I I got stuck is I think what happened is like I was like. And now I now I approach, you know, the way I, that I think about composition is I let the, a lot of ideas flow onto the paper and then I start editing. And that's the way I do it. You know, most of the time is just let a bunch of ideas unedited go onto paper or flow out of my base. I record them and then or, or however I'm put or on the piano and I'm putting it out there. And then I start to decide what I want this piece to be. And I start to throw shit out so my approach at that time i was so afraid that i needed to if i wrote four bars of music that's like writing on the i have to write it on a tablet and they're going to put it on the wall of a museum and it can never change that's the way i thought about composition and i revered composers in in a way it was positive and in a way it was negative it was too it was too precious 
you know, if I write this, it can't be unwritten. <laughs> that, and now I know that that's really not true. I've recorded certain songs of mine, even that that I've recorded two or three times in completely different ways, and put them. And then the recording is just a document that goes out on a CD or streaming or however it gets put out into the world. And but that's still not. A tap, it's not written in stone either. It's still a living thing, the, co the composition itself. So that's a very long way of going about telling you what was going on. And, and it took me to get to um, late in, in the last year or so at CalArts, I think I was really ready. And I started to understand that I could just put some ideas on paper and bring them to other musicians and, and see how it goes. And that was the beginning of it. And then when I got to New York, I started workshopping a lot with some certain musicians that I play with quite often now. Chris Potter, um, Bill Stewart, Kevin Hayes, David Binney, uh, you know, all the uh, Donnie McCaslin, you know, all these musicians that I start that I met very early on in, in, in New York. And we would get together and I could take just a, a scrap of an idea, just a bass line or a thing. Or it could be a fully, what I was thinking of as a full composition and just workshop it. This works, this doesn't. Okay, cool. You know, so it wasn't this precious thing that like I'm presenting this music. And, and so the thing of the spirituality of, of improvisation and the spirituality of making of, of writing composition onto paper and presenting it to other musicians is all the same process now. It doesn't really matter to me. It's like, if I need to write something down so that I can get this idea so that we can have this structure to move forward, fine, I'll put it on paper, but it does, you know, or I can tell you it, I can play it and go, Hey, do this, you do this and you do this. And I've seen many musicians do that very successfully as well. So it became, um, it opened me up to to composition in a broader sense. That's beautiful, Scott. That's that's exactly what we were looking for. <laughs> well, the thing is, is I had to grow through that thing, and it's and as as both of you guys know, it's like as you get older, it's you see the process in the life process and those things that you need to go through, and I had to go through that. I had to go. Oh, oh. I get it. It's not, you know, and of, of course, seeing other people write or, you know, you or, uh, or Charlie or uh, Jim Hall or, or Andrew Hill or some, you know, it's like, those are so, so different ways of working through things. And you go, oh, that works amazingly well. And that process works amazing. Wow, that other thing works great. And Ornette, you know, then you're opening up a whole new, you know, vocabulary and way of writing. And then Pat or Keith Jarrett or, or whatever, you're, you're seeing the process of how these individuals work. And if you're lucky enough to get into a real working rapport with them, either in the classroom or, or on stage, it's all the same but you get to you get to be inside of it so the best teaching in my mind is is the same is the best learning as well if from the teacher standpoint or the student standpoint and to me they they're interchangeable 
in every given moment anyway, whether you're on stage or in the classroom. And those are the, th that's the, you got to get inside this music and get inside the personality and see what matters and what doesn't matter and how they communicate and what they tell you to do and what they don't tell you to do that to, to see that there are all these different ways are possible and sometimes transcendent in that way. Wonderful. That's really great. So, so John, did you have anything to add before, before we wrap this up? I was going to say, I love that your point and I, this is a tangent, but I love your point about, you know, getting to the point where you can take a tune and play it three or four different ways and record it on three or four different albums. I think Charlie, and maybe you told me this, David, but um, you know, that I think Charlie's favorite tune was body and soul and that he had floated this idea of doing a, a record called body and soul where he recorded that tune body and soul, like nine different ways in nine different keys and nine different tempos and nine different styles. And, uh, I remember that being kind of a, a light bulb moment for me of like, oh, <laughs> you don't have to play it the same way every time. Mm -hmm. um, and to have that with your compositions is, is amazing. We started this conversation, I think, talking a bit about keeping Charlie on track. And I think one, I learned so much from Charlie, but I also learned probably an equal amount, especially now as kind of more of an administrator from Ruth and Ruth absolutely kept Charlie on track. I don't even know that he would have gotten in the car to come to Red Cat if it wasn't for Ruth. Every moment of the way she was keeping him on track and was the greatest human for him. And we're all so lucky to have known her. So yeah, I, I think she, she could teach a masterclass in, in dealing with Charlie and, and, keeping him on and she did it really well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Last year, the Charlie week with Carla Blay and Steve Swallow, the last day of that week, Ruth did a whole presentation on the effect of music on politics. Not, not the other way around, not the effect of politics on music, the effect of music on politics. Mm -hmm. And it was a brilliant session. And we actually have it on a YouTube be because it was during the pandemic. So it's actually documented. And it was a wonderful, wonderful session and and a, a real treasure to capture Ruth in that capacity. She Ruth is a brilliant person, wonderful human being and musician. And uh, that session, I'll never forget it. And most of the people that we've gotten as guest artists for for the Charlie Week it was Ruth's idea <laughs> mm -hmm. who, who to ask and why. And she had a very clear picture of how that, how that would work. Um, and I miss Ruth a lot. And thank you, John, for bringing, for bringing that in because uh, you can't really think at this point about Charlie without thinking about Ruth. They're, they're, they're very, very associated. At this point, after doing this, this residency week, eight times with Ruth involved, we've already laid the the groundwork and the template for continuing to do it, at, you know, forever, hopefully. But we'll definitely follow the template that Ruth laid out, which, as usual, was the right, you know, the, the right answer. Did either of you have anything, anything else to, to wrap up before we, before we stop? 
it's just so great to talk to you both. And then this has been a really great experience as always to connect with you, David, and get, get to know you a bit, John. Scott, I've listened to a ton of your music um, for about as long as I've been kind of on board with, with, uh, you know, Charlie and Keith and all those guys and, and all of your contemporaries. And uh, so it's nice to, talk with you and to see and hear about this this amazing legacy that Charlie's left at CalArts and and with you there right at the beginning. It's pretty amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate it. Well, I'm really grateful to both of you for doing this today. You know, whenever Charlie is involved in the conversation, there's almost endless, infinite stories. Um, and we can all picture Charlie laughing and, uh, you know, telling jokes and laughing harder than anyone else at his own jokes, um, <laughs> you know, and the the whole thing. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful memory. And our current students don't get to experience that. But it's really important to, to keep that, that sensibility and that spirit alive in everyone. It's a, it's a rare and wonderful thing. And I thank both of you for, for, for doing that you both captured this really really well you know from from different vantage points but but similar experiences that it it makes me really happy to hear to hear both of you um so thanks to both of you and and we'll keep going here thank you david <laughs> thank you david us together yeah absolutely thanks we'll see y'all later Beyond the Blue Wall is a production of CalArts Advancement. <laughs>